0: Absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Co-Vision Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out,
1: and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I've got one of my personal favorite podcasters, one of my favorite golf insiders on the show today. Really looking forward to speaking with him, Mr. Andy Johnson. Andy, how's everything going? Dan, thanks for
0: having me on. Everything's great. It's uh just just quarantined here in uh Chicago and uh enjoying the uh time home.
1: I want to uh I want to start off by wishing you and your lovely wife a congratulations on the upcoming child.
0: Oh thank you. Thank you. Yeah that's uh, it's uh, it's exciting. Uh you know, another, uh, another big step in life, you know, just, uh, yeah. one by one.
1: Hey, you being in Chicago, you kind of share some of the same similarities that I deal with in Northeast PA, as far as the golf season goes. Um, what, what's, what's the vibe like in Illinois? I know the governor said that you guys are extending to May 8th as well. Is, is anything open golf wise for you out there now? Uh, nothing's open
0: golf wise. I think they just made an announcement yesterday that May one golf would open. Um, you know, we usually are, are have just terrible springs, and and of course this has been like the best April I can ever uh, remember in in golf. Uh, but it'll be good. I think uh, I think there are going to be a lot of restrictions on it. I saw like man, uh, you know, no more than two players in a group. 15 minute tea time intervals so in in mandatory walking but it'll be just great to have something to do i i, I don't know i've been averaging like three three walks a day um in the meantime and, and it'll be nice to like walk and you know follow wherever my golf ball's going around
1: uh every once in a while well you're doing a little preseason conditioning now with all those walks uh, exactly exactly right <laughs> So I, I've got this theory that I'm kind of floating, and I would like to get your uh, mindset of it. You know, one of one of my things is everyone says, you know, this is going to kill the golf courses being in quarantine and shut down. And I, I get all that. You know, it's it's very difficult um, here in PA. Some courses, depending on where they are in counties, are allowed to have maintenance staff. Some are not. So you've got some areas of the state where air, you know, airification is being done um, mowings being done, little things like that. And then you have other courses, which are, you know, literally going overgrown. So my, my whole mindset, my theory is if courses can still make money based on some of those things that you mentioned, having two people in a group, walking only spreading out tea times me personally, I, I think it might be better for the game. Any thoughts on that whatsoever, that the game comes out of this a little bit stronger yeah, I, I think I think we're gonna see obviously the I talked to the
0: superintendent at Jeffersonville in, in Philadelphia the the other day and he was talking about how last year if they if they pace it out based off of the expected open date, they're gonna have lost ten thousand of the forty thousand rounds they did. So you're talking about a huge chunk of revenue and, and if there aren't any carts, I know that cart revenue is a huge deal for a lot of public golf courses. Um, I think, you know, the low end clubs is gonna to be tough. I think there we're gonna see some contraction from this, but I don't always think that contraction's the worst thing. Um, and I think from the just kind of what has happened to society, uh it's been, you know, kind of a tough couple of months for everybody. But one of the things like going out for everybody's walking way more than they ever did. And I think that'll lend itself well is like golf is I think, in my personal opinion, best enjoyed walking. Um, and I think a lot of times circumstances push people into walking. You know, I have a group of friends from college that aren't big golfers, but they started playing a lot of golf the last couple of years. And and when we'd go play, we'd walk. And sure enough, like now they walk all the time. So I think it, it takes experience walking. and And I think in general, it's kind of stripping down the game to – its core values, which is a good thing. I think there's so many ancillary things in golf that make the game expensive, that make the game kind of out of touch with society. And, you know, like, you don't need the latest and greatest $500 driver. Bunkers don't need to be raped to have an enjoyable time on the golf course. Like, the, the at its very core, you know, some of my favorite golf memories are, you know, playing Chasing the Sun by myself, You know, and like just getting in as many holes with, you know, one other buddy or by myself at at late at night, not taking a pin out, um, you know, and just trying to get in the hole. So I, I think at its core, it could give people a different appreciation, which is which could be a good thing. But, you know, it's going there are going to be there are going to be some big downsides to this thing, but there could be some positives. I agree with that.
1: Yeah. So I, I personally, I mean, I, I'd be willing to pay, you know, let's say a local municipal course is 45, 55 bucks. You know, I'd be willing to pay $10, $15 more per round and, and have less people out there and having more walkers, having people, I guess, quote, unquote, enjoy the game the way I do. Now on the opposite side, I completely understand that there's some people that love the game that can't physically walk. And I get that, but to make mention to your point, I can't recall a round of golf, and, and just like you, I've played tens of thousands of them. I can't recall a round of golf that I've loved where I've been in a cart. All my rounds that, that when people ask me, oh, what was your greatest shot? What was your best round ever? Are all walking, and, and like you said, they're all twilight rounds. It's when I love playing, but none of them occur in a cart. None of my favorite courses are courses where there's six and a half, seven miles of cart paths laid out. Yeah.
0: I, I I mean, I think it, it, I think a lot of it too is how you get introduced to the game. So I think I was lucky. I grew up in a community where there was like robust caddy programs and, you know, I grew up caddying, carrying people's bags, but what it, you know, every, the culture in, in the Northern suburbs of Chicago is a walking culture. And I think, like, if you look at Philadelphia, the, you know, the old school golf cities, the, the culture of golf is walking. And, you know, that's one thing. But then if you go down to Texas, like, you just can't. It, it's that realistic to walk in Texas some days. Like, it's it's one hundred and five. Like, I, I lived in Austin for a little bit for work and like you, you wouldn't want to go walk in the summer in Austin. Some days like it's hilly you're climbing mountains and it's 105 degrees out. It's like walking into a furnace. So I think it's important, you know, while walking is great. It, it, I, you know, something I really think is that everybody enjoys and experiences golf different ways. And, 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 it's important to have, allow, you know, people to enjoy it the way they want to. And, and I think it, 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 there's different golf cultures our country's so big and we always like and I'm really guilty of this is you know compare us to to you know the UK our golf culture well it we're so much bigger than the UK and there's so many more golfers here than the UK so you know you could compare a region of our country to the UK and it might look more similar I don't think it you know it really does look that similar obviously that's a utopia but it's important to remember like certain places are just, it's hard to walk, you know, 50% of the year at.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned Texas. That's a perfect example. Florida is another example with such a a high population up in age that most Mm -hmm. of them are are not walking, even though the majority of the courses out there, you know, are relatively flat. You know, the majority of of Florida Mm -hmm. courses are built throughout homes you know throughout homesteads um their communities they're flat cart culture is is enormous there you know uh, people have probably seen the videos of the villages where they have like those coordinated uh golf cart troops where they go around and and literally it's like synchronized golf cart driving i mean that that's a big part of their culture and you're right culture plays such a big role in it out here by me the the courses are so mountainous one of the courses that i work at that i help my buddy at who's who's the pro actually does not even allow walking because they can't get it cleared in their insurance a because of the elevation changes and how mountainous the course is and then B, the fact that it plays across a major road so you Mm. you have to walk you have to ride like as much as i would love to walk the first five or six holes which aren't that bad you know, there's holes that have a hundred plus foot elevation changes. You, you can't walk that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the, the thing is that it, it, there's, there's constraints. So even, you know, Mike DeVries, for example, is a, you know, he's a really great art, architect and he is a big proponent of walking, but like, you know, one of his, his courses in grand rapids, the Mines, it's, it's a wonderful uh, public golf course, right outside of grand rapids i mean it's within i think it's like a seven minute r- ride from downtown drive from downtown and you know it's on this um gypsum mind mine and it it's got roads that you have to cross but then there's these massive power lines that he had to route the course kind of around and and it, you've got like a 500 yard walk between two of the holes and and it sucks it's you know, it's, it's really like we, like I walked it and like, you're like out of breath when you get there, but you know, it is what it is. Like it, you can't discount it. Most people will ride that golf course, but you know, it's still a great golf course. Right. So I, I think like all golf experiences are, are different and, 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 everybody enjoys the game different differently. Like some people are big equipment junkies. Some people are architecture nuts like you know i'm really into architecture i'd love to go play a twenty dollar course that's you know a little overgrown greens are shrunk and some people think that's a you know a dog track so i think you know under everybody enjoys golf in a different way and you know it's uh that's what is one of the things that makes the game so great it's not you know basketball it's it's really fun to win and and to be good at basketball right there aren't all these little subcultures in, in a lot of other sports like there are in golf.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. The subcultures kind of really do make the sport what it is. And and once you get into it and find a love of the sport, there is something within it that's going to really attract you. Like you said, whether it be technology, whether it be history, you know, I mean, some people are just collectors of the sport. So it's a very cool way to, to kind of um, – space people out within it so it doesn't get too crowded um speaking of history i want to get into a little bit of your own personal history and how you got into the game you mentioned you started off caddying uh and playing i'm assuming that you played throughout high school yeah
0: yeah i played uh played in high school and played through high school and uh i grew up uh playing a municipal course like bluff golf club and grew up caddying i caddy at conway farms which a lot of people probably know is uh, the PGA, PGA Tour stop for a couple of years. And then I think when I was 15, I moved over to Knollwood Club, which is um, uh, Allison course in, in the same town uh, and worked uh, bag room, caddied, basically spent sun up to sundown there for the uh, majority of my high school and college
1: life. Now, did you play in college at all or no? I have uh, four I- team, I should say. I did
0: not. I I tried to walk on it at the University of Illinois. Um, You know, that was one of the big things when I I went to uh, college was deciding whether to go play somewhere. I could have played, you know, a lot of smaller schools, um, some, you know, other state schools in Illinois, uh, or, you know, go to school for school. And I got into Illinois and you know, in-state tuition, obviously, and it's a really good, really good school, best state school. So that kind of made up my mind, um, and I went to Illinois and and tried to walk on a couple times, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the walk on, it, the, a lot of golf programs don't really take walk on, so that was the kind of the case at at Illinois. They had the tryout, but not really an opportunity to uh, to play.
1: Was Mike Small still the coach at that time? Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. he. he okay. I mean,
0: he, he's uh, he's run a great program. It's amazing how he's been able to turn a Midwest school into you know one of the preeminent golf schools in the country. So he he's done, and he didn't need somebody like me on the team. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's uh, they've they've got a great program there. Yeah, so, it's funny. He's, he's a great coach.
1: You know, when you mention that, anyone that follows collegiate golf, when you look even even Division Two, D three, when you look at you're the top 25, even the top 50 in the country. It's Texas, Florida, California, the Carolinas. You know, you you don't ever see anybody from the north of the Midwest and and you're right. I mean, it, he's an exceptional player in his own right and and what he's been able to translate to those students there and those student athletes has been nothing short of the, of amazing coming out of the Big 10. That is not a golf powerhouse program. The Big yeah, 10 is, I should say.
0: He, I mean, he's there was a stat at some point in the mid two thousands, um, when he was playing, he, you know, he's would coach in the, in the spring and fall, and then he'd play in the summer. And in the, in the mid, I want to say in the mid 2000s, there's like a eight, a six to eight year stretch where, um, on tour, he was, he had the most, he had the best made cut percentage, uh, second only to tiger. So, I mean, kind of a guy that, he probably could have gone and played on tour if he wanted to. Um, definitely, probably could have. And you know, the he just you know would rather coach kids, and and they've done a great job. Um, lots of uh, really good kids have come out of that program recently.
1: Oh, a ton of tour pros. I actually I used to coach high school golf, and there was a kid that I coached against who ended up playing at Penn State. Great player. Finished you know second in the state his his junior year one state his senior year um i actually got paired with him in a few amateur tournaments and he was just a, a beast you know even when he was 14 15 years old and i was talking to him one day on a tee box you know things got backed up as high school matches do and i said you know are you excited to play at penn state he says oh yeah really and i said you know what are you looking forward to most he goes i'm i'm looking forward to playing illinois and I said, "Oh, I said, you know, makes sense great players." I said, "But why why so much the excitement about playing against them?" And he said, "Well, you know, I wrote a letter to to Coach Smalls and um, you know, he flat out just kind of told me, "Hey, you know, you're just you're not good enough yet, but if you'd like to transfer in a few years, we'll gladly accept." you. so this kid had a little bit of a a chip on his shoulder, but it just goes to show the level of excellence at Illinois because this is I mean, this is a legit kid, you know, a, a, Granted, it's Pennsylvania that he's a state champ from, and we're playing our state championship in late October, and sometimes mm-hmm. there's snow on the ground. But, you know, a phenomenal four-year player at Penn State, you know, made all, all Big Ten and couldn't even sniff, you know, playing it at Illinois. I, I mean, there's so many—the tough thing, I think, with golf is you
0: never know how <laughs> kids are going to progress. It's, it's so much different than the, you know, sports where you have, like, the athletic measurables. Um, you know, you see so many kids that that weren't great high school players turn into really great players in college because they either you know they grow late or they they just learn how to put. it. I think because of how much of the game is mental and and being able to deal with the the ups and downs of a round. I, I think like because of that, you just don't know how kids are going to mature, and and that's the thing with golf is there, you know the. The athletic barriers to entry are lower, but the you have to have everything going right in your head to play really great golf, and I think that's one of the tough. That, it's really like one of the toughest things I think for college coaches uh, recruiting is just trying to figure out which kids are going to get way better in college.
1: Yeah, it's really a crapshoot when you're recruiting high school kids, and and you can even extrapolate that to the PGA Tour. You know, you even take a look at someone like. Uh, like Brooks is a perfect example, you know, of, of someone that didn't do anything to light the world on fire when he first came out, or when he was playing over in Europe, and then, you know, you put him now in the the top five guys out there playing.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, he, everybody paid attention to Berger, who is his teammate, and Brooks was a really good player, and I mean, anybody playing at Florida State's a great player. For sure, but but. You know, you see, you see it every year with like, if you look at the All-Americans and and not everybody makes it and that's, you know, there's only 200 spots out there and 200 spots and a, you know, a really, a much longer career cycle than most other sports. It it makes golf a very, very, very hard thing to play professionally. Um, So I think, and it, it really comes down to, because all these guys, you play with a, a guy on the web tour or latin america all of them can play and it's just a matter of in a lot of cases timing timing up when you get really hot and play your best stretch of golf you know and um getting a few bounces the right way and just having the right mentality you know you got to have a short like a lot of things go against you on your journey to the tour it's it's a it's a fascinating thing it's one of the you know, the best parts about the game of golf is, is watching guys progress up there.
1: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And the the old adage that you either need to be completely brilliant or, or completely brain dead when you play, I mean, really, you know, speaks volumes because you need to forget everything. Uh, you you need to almost have amnesia out there when you're playing at times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's, there's the whole thing with bad beats too. You know, golf, uh, the the loss aversion idea of you remember the bad things that happened to you more than you remember the good things is so true. It's just a it's it's kind of like a constant battle against yourself,
1: which which yeah. I usually lose. Yeah, I, and and the the sport is nuts because you know, you're right. You remember the bad things because that happens 99% of the time. Like, you win maybe 0.5% of the time in golf and those wins are so fleeting or those moments of victory are so fleeting no matter what they are, whether it's winning a tournament or a breaking 80 for you, and then you're right back at it again the next day and shooting 100.
0: Yeah, my, one of my good buddies who I played a lot of tournament golf with in, in Illinois, uh, I, I qualified for the midday a few years ago and, and he we were talking after and he goes, you know, man, you just got to soak this in because golf kicks your ass 99% of the time. And this is that 1% moment. So just, you know, really enjoy it. And he he was so spot on and I'll never forget that. And it's like the best advice is when you, when you win in golf, like when you really achieve something that you've been trying to do, you got to soak it in and and you got to understand that. And that's, I, I mean, I get frustrated sometimes with everybody saying golf is too hard to this. I think that's what makes it. And that's what makes us all so crazy about it is the fact that, that it's so difficult to get what you want. It makes you want to keep coming back and keep trying.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if I went out and shot 58 tomorrow, you know, and then shot 61 the next day and then shot 59 the day after, I mean, what uh, there's, I, I, what, what, what would I be searching for at that point? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean,
0: it would. It, it's so. I think that's the the cool thing is that it's that plus the variables of golf. Like, I something I think so cool is that you know when you boil it down, you you almost never hit the same. I don't think you ever hit the same shot twice if you're playing golf. Like, you know, the wind's going to be a little different um your mentality for the shots always going to be a little bit different so you never are really in the same exact si- situation twice in golf like and and that's something that's extraordinarily unique to this to the game
1: yeah i, I couldn't have said it better myself so listen you get out of college um you you get working but the work is not in golf what were you doing at that time ah uh, i i got into
0: I was an environmental science major. So naturally I got into sales, which, you know, is completely different. I was, I was, I worked for a trucking company doing like uh freight sales, which is like the furthest thing from environmental science. Um, and I did that for uh, a couple of years and then I, I moved uh, to, a startup. Um, you know, I always had taken the stance of I, I wanted to golf on the weekends and not work on the weekends. Um, with you know and that's always the way i kind of thought of uh of the golf industry and so i got working at these startups i was a early employee at a a startup that had a kind of a uh a crazy rise it was like you know kind of your silicon valley if you if you're a fan of that tv show um type type setting i was a early employee and um you know, I got to do a lot of stuff that I was very underqualified for. Um, and, and that was like a very eye opening and, and great experience professionally for me, because I learned how to do a bunch of stuff, you know, it was a it was a culture where, if you didn't know how to do something, it, you didn't go ask a question, you just went and figured it out. And um I just felt I kind of fell in love with the the process of building companies and how, you know, the, you know, taking an idea and, and, and building something around it. So after, um, you know, that that company, we we kind of grew like crazy. And then we all I I, I got to actually experience kind of like the downside of the growth where, you know, we had a lot of struggles and, and uh, you know, kind of flatlined and and saw, you know, the backside of it. You know, what happens when things don't go perfect? And And then I moved over to another company that was in the media space. And that's kind of where I started to learn about media, creating content, um, how to keep people's interest. And and that's kind of at that job, um, I really started to see that I wanted to start something of my own eventually.
1: So when you're at that company, is that when writing for the fried egg starts to come about?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I just started it one day. I got some really great advice from a buddy who had a, a company that built apps and he was a golfer and I told him, you know, we were we were just having a coffee one morning. I told him my idea and he goes, You know, man, I spent months uh thinking perfecting my my launch strategy, all this stuff and like I wish I just would have just started doing it instead of spending all this time. So his advice was just to start and write one, and that next day I wrote something um, and sent it out to like eight people, and and it was the newsletter, um, which we still do. We do it three days a week, but my idea was this newsletter that, that appealed to busy busy professionals, give, send something give straight to the inbox that I could read on the L that it would catch me up on everything going on in the golf world in five minutes or less, rather than me having to go search it seek it out on you know golf websites and and usually be disappointed with what i read you know it was usually not something that i you know i felt like i wasted my time or it went to some conclusion that like wasn't really the point of you know the whole so i just it it was it was something i i thought you know from a sports standpoint i i actually like I'm i'm a huge basketball fan too and i i was thinking about doing it for basketball too, but I was, uh, you know, working full time. I just didn't think I could pull it off on a, on a nightly basis. Um, yeah, so that's it tough was the thing with the NBA, so many games. It exactly. Was- and, and, you know, it, it, looking back, like, I know way more about golf than I know about basketball. I, I it would, it, it was a, it was a blessing in disguise. Um, uh, uh, that I went with, uh, with golf and, and the, and so then I started doing it every uh, every I would write it on Sunday and and Tuesday and send it out on Monday and Wednesday morning and that's kind of how it started and I did that for a while, uh, working full time and, and and writing at night.
1: So I I guess you know a lot of our listeners are going to kind of be interested in when did the transition occur from you working full time and kind of dabbling in golf to jumping both feet in with the fried egg podcast, you know, also with the shotgun start podcast and, and, and kind of really ingratiating yourself into the golf world. When, when does that occur? Like when does that leap of faith happen? So I, you know, I, I
0: was working my job. Um, and I, a lot of the things I was doing were ideas I had for, for a company. Um, and they, they just weren't. And, you know, one of the things I, I started doing that, and I, I became less and less interested in my my day job, and uh, I I ended up leaving that um, company. And I was I was it, it, the Friday at that time was was not really ready um, to, in my mind, for full time gig. And I, you know, when I left, I I had I had a couple job opportunities. I took one of them right away. Um, and I, I had a couple weeks where I took a couple week break and was just kind of hanging out before I started. I had like a a month before my start date uh, off, and I was doing the Friday then full time from that time. And you know, I, I was in the obviously the entrepreneurial space, the uh, tech startups, and and uh, I had one of my one of my clients actually you know offered to you know, he's like, I think this is really great. My old clients from my last job and he was a kind of a self-made guy and invested in stuff. He's like, I think you should do this full time. Um, and I'd be happy to, you know, invest in the company for some of the company back. Uh, and, you know, I turned him down the first time. Uh, it was, I was like, no, it's not ready. And I took, I'm taking this job. And then we, my wife and I were on, we were dating at this time. We were on a vacation. It was like the weekend before I started uh, work on Monday. And we were, we were sitting, we'd had a few few drinks and um, we were sitting on a porch. And she said, you know, you, you can't take this job. And I'm like, why? And she's like, you're already miserable and you haven't started. So... <laughs> you know, that, that it, doing it full time for a month was like kind of the thing that pushed me over the edge. And, and then, uh, so that's, you know, I, I, I reached back out to the, to the, uh, guy that had offered, to, and we were off and, you know, I was paying myself basically nothing and, uh, basically just enough money to keep the lights on. And, uh, that's how it started. So it was a, it was really lucky. I mean, it without without being able to do it full time it's really hard to make something work without being able to do it full time um and you know that was a uh it was a big break i got kind of in it and it it was just a, you know i think it was just he was trying to put me somewhere where he knew somebody you know and to go work and when we were talking about the fried egg he could just tell i think my passion and and that I had ideas, and that I, you know, had a vision for it. So I think that it, it was it was a uh, it was one of those moments in time that it was really lucky.
1: Yeah, right place, right time. That's very similar to how a lot of these tour pros will will get their backing with investors from the club to buy stock in them and stuff, and and then they you know kind of end up paying them back. Uh, is this individual still involved with you and the Fried Egg? I mean,
0: he's he's a great investor in the sense that he trusts everything. He, we we talk every once in a while, and and uh, you know he he knows I've got a vision, and you know he's 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 been he gives a gives advice when I ask for it, and but he's yeah he's he's got his own he's got his own couple companies, so he, I mean, he's a busy guy. So he's just you know, so he's but he's a he's a great guy,
1: and and that vision has really blossomed to apparel. For- photography, um, events that you've run, podcasts, secondary podcasts. I kind of got to ask, where do you find all the time to get this stuff done? Oh, um, that's good. I I mean,
0: this something that, uh, I I was, I did a thing, a panel with Billy Hurley, um, the third and a couple other uh, Brad Faxon. And one thing Billy Hurley said is like, everybody always looks at my life and says like, oh, you know so glamorous your tour pro you know but what everybody doesn't understand is that every tour pro everybody that gets to there does it because they made a lot of sacrifices in life and and i think that something that's really true with you know what we've done uh, i mean my wife and i have made a lot of sacrifices like you know i can definitely tell you that my social life is a lot different than it was before I started, uh, started the company. And, and, you know, it's, uh, sometimes I'm like, God, why do I, why do I just kill myself doing this stuff? But at the end of the day, that's kind of what you have to do when you're, when you're at, you've got less money, you've got less resources and, and, you know, you don't have, you know, editors to, Video editors to do your your stuff like it's a, you just got to figure it out and work out work people a lot of times and and I think that's kind of what we've done um, is that we've just you know really hustled and and that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, and and people that are consuming your media, I think it's important to let them know that there's not an entire team, there's not 15 people, you know, creating the email every week, doing the videos, the, uh, the drone shots, going to the courses, setting up these events, like the steam shovel, the dog bowl, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's you.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've got a couple employees now, so it's, uh, we've got, uh, Garrett Morrison, Will Knights, and then my wife helps out a ton with, uh, a lot of different things. So it's definitely, we've, we've become a bigger organization, but, yeah, I mean, early days, it it was always, you know, I I had no background in, in audio production or video production. I was a really like not a great writer in terms of like, I had good ideas that I could put on paper. But from a grammatical sense, style sense, I was really, really not a good writer. And what, you know, it was a it, it was just a th- kind of sink or swim moment where you know you just kind of have to figure stuff out and one of the tough things was like the audio stuff like you just not knowing how to produce a podcast and and you would understand why like you never have done anything in the audio space it's hard and and one of the things you know people would email me like hey you really got to get this sound quality figured out and it's like (laughs) listen like you know i'm the most unhappy of all of us like you know this is I just I just drove four hours each way and spent two hours with Bill Corr like and I you know I I'm the most mad that this audio is not very good you know so that that's uh you know it in a way though it's really rewarding to learn how to do all that stuff um, and figure it out and and um, you know I think we did we've done a lot of stuff that. Now, a lot of bigger outlets kind of mimic and, and have, you know, and I think that's kind of cool It's the imitation is the finest form of flattery, right?
1: Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we're always our own worst critics. You know, we we always hold that critical pen tighter than than anyone else. And I'll give you a funny story on, on my end, starting the podcast. And my listeners know this, but my first podcast ever was with Jason Gore. It was phenomenal. I mean, it was before he became, uh, you know, USGA Director of uh, Player player Relations. Uh, We have a great relationship with the USGA. And my buddy said, hey, you know, that was amazing. Like, I loved it. I think you should upload it to this other site. Like, the site that you're hosting with is not good. So Mm -hmm. I looked into it. And he was kind of right. There wasn't a lot of bandwidth, all that stuff. Um, So we transferred over. We lose everything. Oh, God. So and 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 Jason still will kind of mock me on. He's like, "Hey, how's that how was that first interview we did?" I'm like, "I don't it's lost to the ether, dude. I have no idea." You know, it, it's it's it started us off, but it's gone.
0: <laughs> it's 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 tough when you lose. It's, it's the worst feeling in the world. It it, it really is. It's it's just, you know, it, it's bad. I I can I can empathize with
1: you there. You know, and and I I would tell people they'd be like, "Oh, well, you know, I might ask someone on, they're like, well, who else have you had on? I'm like, well, do you know Jason Gould? Oh, of course I do. Yeah, I've worked with him in this, you know, medium or whatever. Uh, could you send me the podcast? I'm like, well, uh, I can't, actually, uh, but it was good. I could tell you that. And then so <laughs> the first one that we did ever was down at the Savannah Golf Championships on the Corn Ferry Tour. I've got two buddies that caddy out there. So I'm out on the course all day long, getting a ton of information, doing some Interviews with with people outside the robes, talking with the caddies and stuff like that. We sit down at their host family's house. They have us in the backyard, guys cooking steaks and everything. We sit down, the three of us. The guy is like super excited that we're recording a podcast out there. It was so just ghetto. Like it was so ghetto that I was passing the MacBook back and forth to them as they were speaking. Like that's how I started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, I uh, I used to I used to Skype people. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd Skype people, and uh, I'd have my phone recording the speakers on my computer. I mean, just yes. like, yes. so get up, it, 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 everybody. But that's the thing is, like, that's one of the cool things I think that some people appreciate. is the the growth and the progression like and that's one of the neat things when you find something before a lot of people you know i I think that's why you see ravenous fan bases for the little guy sometimes is that the the lack of polish can in a way be so endearing uh, as well and and because you know that with polish comes comes downsides sometimes you know it's not so it's a uh, you know a lot of times you get bigger um and and one of the toughest things to do is to lose the charm that you have and the culture you have and authenticity you have
1: yeah sometimes with with polish and uh you know, comes more money and 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 things become a little bit less real because now you have to please sponsors and and whatnot, and you get away from your your ethos. It's like finding your your favorite band that you saw at a college bar, you know, and then all of a sudden that favorite band turns into like the Killers or U two or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's it, a great great uh, great example.
1: I, I mean, it's like with um,
0: with rappers, so they they always say that there's like a um, there's it's really hard for them to have a great album after their first album because their life changes so much. And like all their stories are, you know, are, are drastically different. Like, you know, rap is such a storytelling based uh, genre of music that it really changes. And, and there's, they don't have the, as much edge because they've become millionaires all of a sudden.
1: Right. And then you get that label of being fake because you're not, doing whatever it was you were doing beforehand and rapping about you know you're you're living this posh lifestyle so how can you relate to me now where I'm living in the ghetto or just like
0: yeah exactly it's just that's it's the hardest thing and that's something that I I think about a ton is that when I started the fried egg I was not in golf media and something that I always want to do is to stay not feel like you're stock golf media um, because that's that's kind of who we were and what we were found is like we don't want to be like we don't want to be like golf.com. We don't want to be like golf digest. We want to be we want to. You lose sight of who your audience is because you become so inside. If it, if that makes sense,
1: it it that makes perfect sense. When whenever I go to a tournament, I'm doing media you have all these media people that are sitting inside nonstop. And all they're doing is watching the tournament on TV. And and I'll hoof the course three, four times, forwards and backwards, and come back in sweating, and people will be like, where were you? I'm out walking the course, you know, like talking to people, seeing what's actually going on. Because granted, I have the luxury where I can do whatever I want. I don't have a multi-million dollar corporation saying, you need the story in by six o'clock. You know, so I <laughs> feel for those people, but... I, I don't ever want to become that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, and and I think that it, it's that's one of the constant struggles. It's just is just keeping keeping your voice and, and keeping perspective of of who your audience is and, and you know that the ninety nine percent of the audience doesn't work in golf media, so they don't know a lot of the ins and outs. They want some inside stuff, but they also want it to be relatable. And fit their schedules, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think that the little guy needs to sound or look like ESPN. Uh, there's, there's too much of that out there anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's kind of the trends
1: with content. Hey, sure. I want to. I want to know. Um, you know, you and Brendan are are great. You have this phenomenal chemistry. Um, literally since day one, I, I've been a fan. Uh, I've got to ask, as a fan and not as a fellow podcaster now. Have you ever had any type of negative interactions from pros, uh, get any backlash from any of the, the comments or the nicknames given to them on the podcast?
0: I, you
1: know, no,
0: I, I think that's kind of the charm of the pod is that we're just two guys talking. Um, and the, I, we, I haven't had any backlash, um, one of the things that i kind of, I don't want my voice ever to be um, hindered or blocked. And we've made a lot of, you know, decisions from a sponsorship side that are short term painful, but I think that long term will be really beneficial because it, 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 in media, your voice is all you have. So you can't be afraid of, of what somebody's gonna say or do and i think like the nicknames and everything that makes it so much more fun um and just talking real is is the thing i think one of the things with golf is it's been it's muffled for so long and and no really strong opinions are, are made a lot of times when you but that's because they're worried about their title of sponsorship or their callaway sponsorship or tailor-made you know the the second you criticize a player their agent gets on the phone and if you're sponsored by a big oem you're probably going to get a call um and i think that's the tough thing with golf um media in this sense is that is that the there are so many the the stakeholders unlike a lot of other professional sports you know the nba is notorious they understand that any conversation is really really great for the game um And I think golf is is a little bit self conscious about um, the game Uh, in a weird way. They should we shouldn't be self conscious, but they're self conscious about you know the um, you know anybody saying anything remotely critical is bad. But you know one of the things we're very independent, so we don't hear. And I think that's one of the most important things is I never have to worry about my boss getting called and about my comments because they're calling me you know and right and i had one time i had the pga tour got mad at me for something and 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 i said are you so are you refuting the story you know are you refuting this and they're like no and i'm like well what are we talking about then you know because yeah, if I... you're not publicly denying it then why you know why are you calling me
1: it's a it's a good point i feel like golf is in a a big transition phase and has been for the last five, six years. And I always feel like golf as, as the, as it's perceived in the general media is, is still kind of looking for its own identity. You know, is it, is it trying to be edgy and, and reaching kids? Is it trying to stay stale, you know, and tried and true to its, to its old, man ways it's it's kind of caught in between you know most most of the other leagues the big north american leagues know who they are know where they stand know where their target audience is um and i feel like golf is is on the is kind of like in the middle there of you know we we want a younger generation because they're going to be the ones that eventually take the game over but with being edgy we can't alienate all of our old head sponsors
0: yeah yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tricky. It's just, I think one of the things that happens with golf, too, is that we're just generally, it's always kind of run, in a, it's run by like an older generation. Um, you know, like the people that are in charge of most of the golf organizations are, are a couple generations away from the young generation, rather than, they, they're just a little bit further disconnected. Um, and that makes it hard. It's, it's really hard. Like I, even like me, I'm 33 and I don't feel like I'm old, but I have a hard time relating to, to 15 year olds. And just imagine being 70 and trying to figure out ways to make golf relatable to a 18 year old. Like you're so far disconnected from their, their lives, like culturally. And it's, it's just, that's a hard thing to do. And, and I think it, it, a lot of people get into golf because they like golf and they, you know, it's like, Oh, I play golf. I like golf. And I've been really successful at other things that don't involve golf. And, and what happens is that they get into this game. And, and a lot of times the, they have these things that worked in other, other aspects of life and other industries. And they think it's just going to work
1: yeah and, and sometimes it just it it doesn't. I mean, sometimes there's cultural divides, there's generational divides that you just can't reach, yeah, exactly. And I think
0: it golf just needs to let golf happen. I mean, that's the organic and and let it be its own kind of let it grow itself. like that's it's this grow the game myth is just insane to me. It's just you, you know, they're spending millions of dollars on campaigns to get cartoons driven. driven uh drawn by somebody thinking that's going to make a big impact on on new people picking up the game it's like you just got to get people to go play the game and make it affordable it, it just it drives me insane that you know these club equipment companies that that um you know they're they're like oh we need to make the game more accessible more more fun we can't roll back the game it's like wait all right guys, why don't you come up with like a beginner set of clubs that cost a hundred dollars, like seven, seven clubs for a hundred dollars, but they're all driven by profits. They're still, they're just trying to make the next $500 driver that, that costs them, you know, probably 50 bucks, a hundred bucks to put together. It's, It's just, you know, the, the stakeholders in the game of golf are almost always looking for their next payout. And, um, and that's the that's one of the things that that hurts It is like the committees that always include these, you know, CEO of a club manufacturer that's a publicly traded company that, you know, at the end of the day, you're, if you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, like you have to drive profits back to your shareholders like and, and they aren't looking to make the game more affordable. They're looking to make a profit off the game. And And that's the one of the things that that kind of frustrates me the most about golf is that um you know the the places they look for new ideas are usually those those are the ones that kind of make you scratch your head because you know these equipment companies uh, you know they could make the game much more approachable if they just created you know affordable beginner sets of clubs that didn't like you know like that's the hardest thing people always ask me like hey i'm looking to get into the game you know how much does it cost to get a set of clubs and i'm always like you know realistically you could buy like a good used set of clubs for like $700 or like $700, you know?
1: Well, it's the exact reason why other sports flourish. I mean, look at the entry point to basketball it costs 10 bucks. I mean, you could buy a crap basketball for 10 bucks. You can buy a, a crap football for 10 bucks. You can buy, you know, a wiffle ball set for $4 and, and have some semblance of baseball, And you can't do that with golf. I'll give you two perfect examples. You talked about the equipment companies. So I, 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 uh, I teach and work at a driving range in my off time. I'm a teacher. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my friends own a driving range and uh, I, I teach there and, you know, I work the pro shop every once in a while. We used to have a account from a, a very large OEM that allowed us to have a private individual purchasing account and you know for those people familiar with the game they'll know exactly what brand i'm talking about and we used to get 60% off of wholesale not re- not retail price wholesale so i was getting a new driver every time that this company would drop and there were plenty of drops with this new company and i would get a club every 3 4 months for literally about 130 bucks they were still making a profit off of my hundred and thirty bucks. So, like you mentioned, yes, those clubs are costing fifty to seventy-five bucks. I have a friend now who's a rep for them, and and he will not publicly, but off the record, let me know that that is exactly how much they cost. So the the barrier to entry in golf is great. Also, I have two sons that play golf. Now we've always gone with kind of the uh, the the king cobra sets because they're relatively inexpensive under 200 bucks you can get a bag putter wedge driver hybrid three wood but my oldest son now is 13 and starting to actually play golf and can hit the ball Mm -hmm. well and he's using my old sets well that's only though you know those sets are only there because i'm such a golf nut if you had a kid that wanted to get into the sport and and you tell them well here's a set of clubs for two hundred dollars and a greens fee is going to cost you $30. And you should probably get lessons and those are $30 for every half an hour. And you need balls and those are 30 bucks. You know, a parent's going to look at you and be like, "All right, I'll sign my kid up for Little League because the entire season is
0: $60." Yeah, I I mean, once you get past the clubs though, there is like something I when I was a kid, my my season pass at, at Lake Bluff Golf Club cost like 195 bucks. And you know, and I think about it as like if if I could you know I spent like all, a lot of day all day every day there, and that for that amount of money, it's like a very good deal. um we'd find golf balls, you know I'd go hunting for golf balls and find golf balls and and I think like there can golf can be affordable and it can be accessible it's there are just a lot of things that get in your way and a lot of messaging that's mixed and and that gets, that confuses people.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you need to kind of look behind the curtain a little bit. You know what I mean? F- actually find the wizard. And the wizard is not, not always a big company spewing out thousands of dollars worth of clubs. The wizard is at, at its heart of golf, you know, is a kid walking with a single strap bag over his shoulder, a few clubs and a few balls and tees in his hand.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you don't need, this, the 14 clubs, like, if you want to start playing golf, you need five clubs. Like, you do not need 14. You know, it, you need 14 when you're, like, really serious about playing the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get started with a, you know, a driver or a hybrid, an iron, a wedge, and a putter, and you're good to go. And honestly, it probably makes the game easier for kids. It probably simplifies things a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I
0: I lost my six iron last year. I still haven't replaced it, but... One of the things that happened from it is I just one day I was was tired of having the gap. And and I just said, all right, well, I'm just going to make all my gaps the same. I took out all my uh, even clubs out of my bag. I played like almost all of last year with a half set of clubs, you know, and it's just like I know that that's ridiculous for most people to think of. But at the same time, when I put all of my clubs back in. It was like it made the game so much easier. But I learned how to hit so many different shots because of that exercise. And, I, you know, like you all of a sudden have way less bad yardages. It almost makes you – it it doesn't almost. It makes you a better player if you do it with regularity because you have to hit golf shots.
1: Yeah, I think – and one of the things too, I'm sure you'll agree, it takes you back to being a kid and and playing again and maybe not having, you know – the greatest clubs, or even having a full set, you're just going out and playing.
0: Yeah, exactly. That it, it's way more playing. It, it requires you to hit shots. It it you have to learn how to hit the you know if you you have to t- learn how to take 18 yards off off a shot, or maybe move the put a little bit of uh you know put a little fade on a on a shot because you aren't gonna be able to come in as high as you'd like to. With a, say, you had, you you know, it'd be a perfect eight at stock eight iron, and you got to hit a little seven, you might have to put a, you know, you might have to hit a little choke fade in there to get a little bit more stop rather than coming in with such a high, high shot. It teaches you that you can't go after every pin because you just can't stop shots sometimes. So I think like. I, I really enjoy playing with less than 14 clubs, but I, it's not for everybody. And like I said, this is, these are different people get different things out of the game. And, and this is just something that I learned almost out of necessity.
1: Well, one of the things that you have brought to the game and kind of brought to the, the golf world is your love of architecture. And I, I'd be, I know we're running long and, and I'd be crucified by people. If I didn't ask you a little bit about architecture, um, this podcast will actually drop after I get back from Pinehurst, but I'm we're heading down tomorrow. Um, playing oh, just, man. A, you know, yeah, Exciting. yeah, I, I am. It's a, a murder's row. We're doing a little bit of media for Pinehurst, um, the dormy club, Talamore, Mid South, Southern Pines. I, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on what are the best, in your opinion, architecturally designed. New courses that are out there for people to play. We have a lot of listeners that are, you know, I don't I don't want to call them um, top hundred chasers, but but people that genuinely love playing new places, the experience of new places, maybe the architectural significance of going to new courses. So over the last, let's say ten years, what courses really stick out in your mind as ones that you love from an architectural standpoint?
0: Oh, I mean, there's so many, and and there's been so many great restorations. Like, I mean, Pinyard Number Two is a perfect example of uh, of one that went through an amazing restoration to bring it back to that that ex- exposed sand wiregrass look, and and really, you know, kind of recapture its identity. Um, obviously, you can't. Bandon Dunes and, and and what the Kaisers have done is obviously has been a huge proponent of, of this kind of uh, resurgence in, in the interest of golf course architecture and, and destination golf. Um, they've been a big part of it. Um, if you're, you know, the, if you're looking, you know, obviously Pinehurst number four is a new Gil Hans. You've got the stream song is incredible. Um, that, is it's a very expensive place to go um which which is tough i i you know the thing that gets me there is is like how much stuff once you're on site costs like the you know the food and beverage and but the golf is incredible um and i don't think there's anywhere anywhere in the southeast that's got three courses that can stack up with uh with um stream song and and pinehurst is another example um that area with mid pines pine needles pinehurst number two pinehurst number four southern pines there's there's so much good golf in that area um but then there's you know there's good golf everywhere um there's interesting stuff you know trey kemp has done some great stuff down in in dallas texas area in texas area you know, Tom Doak just did Memorial Park re- uh, renovation in Houston. Um, in California, you've got Rustic Canyon, the Gil Hans course. you in Soul Park another Gil Hans course. And then, you know, if you want, if you're into Golden Age architecture, one of the most unique and cool golf courses, albeit it's not in the best shape. And you want to get an early tee time because it's always packed. Is is Santa Anita? a a golf course that you'll see stuff that you 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 won't see anywhere else um so there's there's great options for every budget every budget and i think that's obviously something that um we've tried to make a focus of on our site is because for most most of the publicity goes to the same 10 places that you know you rattle i rattle off right off the top the places that have marketing budget but there are a lot of really good golf courses, you know, like in your area. There's a lot of great Golden Age public golf courses that you can play for 30 bucks, yep. you know, and they might be a little bit overgrown. They don't have their greens all the way out to where they should be. The conditions aren't, you know, what you're going to see this week at, at Pinehurst. But they they have shots that, you you know, and really variety and you've got some great topography out there. Um, so I would say, you know, there's really good golf everywhere. You just have to do a little bit of searching, and a lot of times, the best golf isn't the most expensive tea time in town.:
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Some of the Some of my favorite courses that I've played have been under 50 dollars and in a little beat up condition. Um, I'd be remiss. If I didn't ask you before I get you out of here, give me your thoughts on the Last Dance. I know you're a big Chicago Bulls guy. Um, You know Jordan, for me growing up was you know literally my childhood. I mean every single memory that they played from his rookie season on, I can remember watching. And I'm not even an enormous uh, Bulls fan. I'm a Sixers fan, obviously, but uh, Uh. I don't I don't know anybody that wasn't you know, a fan of Jordan and his greatness during that time. I know I certainly was, was never a bulls fan. Um, so I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon. You know, I'm going to stay true to my, my Sixers regardless of the, uh, whatever state that they're in at the current time. Uh, what are your thoughts on it?
0: I mean, it's, it's such a fun trip down memory lane. I mean, as a a Chicagoan and somebody that was like, uh, just in love with basketball from a very young age, um, the, it's been just a it's it's an awesome thing to relive i remember so many memories of, of being a kid because you know they won their championships when i was essentially my first memories of of basketball like when i was five six uh when they were winning uh when they beat uh the the lakers and then you know running through when i was like 11 12 years old I mean, it it was a a fun. I mean, I would I'd be shooting hoops out as a kid in my fr- in my in my driveway. You know, re- being Jordan with five seconds left, beating the Pistons. You know, that that was like kind of my childhood growing up, and it's just so fun to watch. I, I mean, the other day they they put on that. Um, they somebody tweeted out the intro like from from the championship years and like i still got goosebumps i'll never forget my dad would turn off the lights before the before the game and then you know we'd we'd sit and that intro would come on and you know you get goosebumps it's just such a neat um thing to get to go relive. I you know, every day I was sick when I was a kid, I'd I'd watch the the VCR uh tapes of of the championship recap seasons. Um so it's it's cool. It's it's uh it makes you a little sad. Uh you know and I didn't I was so young I you know you don't don't remember all the little cult the little storylines that like would have been shotgun start catnip if, if we were a basketball <laughs> podcast like the the Jerry and and so it's it's a really neat thing to get a kind of relive and in a perfect time for it with with nothing going on
1: yeah for sure for sure well andy again I, I i cannot thank you enough Been wanting to have you on for a long time you're our literally one of our top 3 requested um golf media personalities to have on the podcast so i cannot thank you enough
0: of course anytime it was a pleasure it was a fun talk
1: and uh you know if you want to do it again let me know awesome all right people, so we either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hey, what's good podcast patrons? Dan from Leave the Pin here. Listen, if you want to look good on the course, if you want to hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it, Gashouse Golf is the company you need to get on board with ASAP. Gashouse Golf Newest apparel company out there, making you look fantastic. Look, the shirts are fire, the hats are fire. Everything they do, everything they touch looks great on the course. You want to stand out? You want people to notice you? want people to notice your game? Get to GasHouseGolf.com. And right now, not only are they offering free shipping, they're also giving you an amazing 15% off code. Use our code, leave the pin, get 15% off all your purchases at GasHouseGolf.com. All gas, no break, gas House golf. We'll